Welcome to Feature Please, a hateful voyage of the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm your co-host, Peter. I apologize for how I sound in this episode. I've had a, a small technical fault with my normal microphone. I think the, the cable might not be working. Uh, I'm going to try and get that ironed out before we do our live show, which from our reckoning of time is in a couple days. Unfortunately, I couldn't just go to a fucking Best Buy and get a, a cable because, uh, you know, they're all closed in Ohio. So that's great. Um, but you know what? Through quarantines and what have you, we're still going to we're still going to talk about Star Trek. We're going to talk about season five Star Trek Voyager. Peter, how are you feeling about this? I am really looking forward to doing the season four rip, which will have already aired by the time this airs. Uh I've been doing a lot of back listening to season four and it has become crystal clear to me now just how dominated it was by seven of nine to the point where I feel like the entire rest of the series went on hold while we tell the same story about her 15 times. So um, I thought overall season four was excellent uh, with some particularly high peaks, but uh, I'm very much looking forward to the kind of the blank slate that season five could represent if we can start going back and telling other crew member stories. And it's not just going to be seven, the doctor and Janeway sometimes. Well, I got good news for you uh, in the sense that season four is a, a little bit of an aberration where they really press seven of night and, and season five goes back to spreading the love around when it comes to character development, but it's a big deal for the production of the show because there's actually a huge change between season and four and season five and they changed showrunners right so in tv parlance the showrunners essentially the the commander of the vessel right they're the ones that is in charge of the production of the show you have directors for individual episodes you've got a production team that's kind of your backstop you've got writers but season five was a big change because it went from the hands of jerry taylor whom we have raised our fist uh, against uh, in uh, uh not appreciation uh, on several occasions and shifted over to uh, Brandon Braga, who is going to be the showrunner for the rest of uh, Voyager's uh, run. And he obviously has a much different storytelling style than Jerry Taylor. We, we talked, you and I at length, what probably feels like an eternity ago, but was more like a year to year and a half ago about Jerry voice. Taylor. Yeah, the, the feminine voice and how Voyager felt different and how so many of its episodes seemed to be coming from this perspective that Jerry Taylor built into its DNA. And you can think of so much of what we watched with Seven of Nine in particular through that lens, right? Like, it's obviously a female character. There's a very specific story that Jerry Taylor wanted to portray through it. And, uh, you know, it, we, we saw that in seasons three and and seasons four her mode of operation what she thought was going to work for the show we disagreed we didn't like it very much i would say is fair is a fair assessment but her time is over brad braga is taking over and uh, it's this first episode of season five i think is a perfect example of how much different the show becomes as a consequence of that this was a very interesting note to start the season on uh there is some some non-traditional Star Trek sci-fi elements in play that uh, I enjoy. There's a goofy moral quandary. We'll get into the second part. 
Um, but hearing what you're saying, uh, I, I think it really illuminates a lot of the thoughts I had about that. And tonally, yes, this is a very different creature than what we have seen up to now until you get back into maybe the, the Michael Pillar era of uh, season one and two. I will say, and I don't know if this will be true for you, but among fans of Voyager, people say season five is when it starts to get good. I find that hard to believe. And again, going back, there was a ton of great shit in season four. The The second half, especially of season four was so good. I, I sat back and I'm thinking like, man, that's what a great season overall until I was listening to some of our earlier entries. Um, and there were, I wouldn't say there were like rock hard duds in there, but there were a couple major stumbles in the beginning of the season that I did not enjoy. But, uh, I don't know, man. I, I, I think there's enough great Trek in the first four seasons, uh, to call Voyager a good series just based on what I've seen so far. So if you're saying that five is where it starts getting good, I'll be very curious to see what, uh, what elements are at play to make people say that? Well, season four had uh, some of my all-time favorite Voyager episodes in it. I think the density of good episodes is greater in, in season five than any season we've done so far. Uh, you know what? We will talk perhaps at the end of the episode of what is to come. Uh, but what did we watch this week? Season five, episode one, Night. Well, Brand Raga actually helped write this one. And I feel like this is, in many ways, him setting the tone for what he wants. And this is a far darker episode, uh, not just obviously in the, the science fiction, the lighting and the science fiction issue, right? Like night, night and darkness comes into play uh, quite, you know, viscerally in this episode, quite specifically as a as a force, uh, but darker in terms of the characters dealing with psychological issues uh which is something that will continue to occur that their motivations and their development having to do with them confronting things that they have done in the past or uh things that are part of their backstory that necessarily didn't necessarily happen on camera but come to the forefront uh, as a consequence of what's going to happen so these are elements that i think we have both commented uh and season four to be fair was leaps and bounds better than anything before it as far as recognizing Voyager's own experienced events and touching on pre-established backstories that went largely ignored, if not uh, near retconned, like in the case of Chakotay, you know, they, they moved him as far away as possible from his Maquis roots to the point that in, um, oh, what the, not resistance, what was the fucking one that Predator nemesis yes where it took him the entire half of the episode before he finally like oh yeah uh this is all old hat to me i i was a guerrilla fighter for most of my adult life oh well that episode was notorious for the fact that somehow some way he was a man of peace and didn't believe in fighting or killing things like the entire time is like, dude, you you killed Cardassians for fun. Like you were you were you were boys with a man who was who was literally Chucky, <laughs> like uh, with murder with murder maniac Lon Suter. Like, yeah. come on now. But uh, I loved this episode. I thought it was great. Um, 
I see you don't agree. <laughs> I loved 60 to 70 percent of this episode and the the parts I didn't like, I think will still make for some good conversation. Uh, I think we can both agree, however, that the beginning of this was fucking amazing. And uh, it's your first taste, my friend. Uh, I'm referring to oh, what's his name? Captain Proton, Captain Photon. Yes. Some of the uh, the best holodeck content you'll ever see on Star Trek is going to be related to Captain. This Proton. is what the holodeck was made for. Uh, Absolutely. I I'm aware of this story to a certain extent because i played elite forces the computer first person shooter that was a star trek property and there were parts of i believe elite forces one which was still set on voyager uh where you're doing like holodeck adventures and not having ever watched voyager and playing through these corny what's you know early 50s i i, I don't know when flash gordon was out um, but these weird serialized schlocky sci-fi things uh, felt stupid and annoying. But seeing where it came from now, I think I would have a very different opinion. Uh, they've applied this black and white filter to everything, which kind of was like my first entry in the the note was like, how, are, are is everyone actually black and white in this? And we'll later find when the doctor kind of walks into the scene and they readjust his uh lighting elements like yeah that that's this is all stuff that's well within the holodeck technology tree so the the flash gordon serials were from the 30s and of course they famously also inspired stuff like george lucas making star wars and all of that right the schlocky like black and white uh, the hero comes in to save the day, you know, like everyone talks in an exaggerated mid-Atlantic accent. And the best part is, uh, to me, the guy that they got to play the villain of Captain Proton. Uh, so Dr. Chaotica is this guy. Fucking amazing. I agree with you. Like the character is great. The guy playing the character is amazing. Um, they've got, uh, Tom in there, who I believe this is really Tom's. The, the first person we get to see is uh, Harry Kim, who appears to be a sidekick that is tied up uh, next to a super stacked blonde that <laughs> seven of nine. <laughs> only, Tom, only Tom Paris would 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 program this lady. Like, yeah, yep, yep. There it is. Yeah, there it is. That's yes. It was. Uh, of course, I mean, Harry is playing. A, Harry is playing a character named Buster. Because he is a bluster, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the the lady's uh, name is Constance Goodhart. Yeah, you know, classic '30s name. But yeah, Doctor Chaotica is played by this uh, scene chewing actor uh, named Martin Rayner, and he is an absolute delight. He reprises his role a few times, and he, I just he found the line like, "Oh, this is what you want me to play, right?" Got it. <laughs> Like hundred percent. I'm sure I know the answer to this, and I'm going to lament the fact it's not the case. But uh, is there any chance in hell that uh, Doctor Chaotica ever gets the Moriarty treatment, where he takes over the ship and puts shit on lockdown and becomes sentient and his own roving threat? Um, not exactly that, but I'm happy to tell you there is an episode where Doctor Chaotica's evil plans are actually a real problem for Voyager. We'll leave it at that. Good. That's yeah. that's all I needed to know. Um, 
they got uh, Tom in there. And Tom, as was pointed out to me by uh, Nate, uh, is less Flash Gordon and more like Rocketeer. Yeah, he does. He's kind of has that the the leather jacket. He does have like a little thing on the back that looks like a like a jet like a pack. rocket pack. Yeah, he's got, the, he's got a ray gun. Yeah. Um, and then uh, you know they go back and forth. Uh, Doctor Chaotica unleashes uh, Satan. The, the robot's name is Satan's, Satan's robot. Satan's robot. Yes. Satan's you know who robot. portrayed Satan's robot? I believe it was uh, Smoldering Catcher Guy. It is absolutely the uh, guy who portrays uh, Lieutenant Ayala, Smoldering Catcher Guy. Uh, <laughs> this dude gets all the fucking good roles, man. Like what he does. If man, I could... you gotta get paid, right? When you don't get lines, you only get paid with the days you show up. So I was like, you want me in the fucking robot? I'll be in the fucking robot. I've been thinking about Smoldering Catcher Guy, Lieutenant Ayala, a lot lately, and I, I have to wonder if there was an agreement that. Uh, he was to never be clowned in an episode. Voyager's security is so fucking terrible. And I, I did a post on the trauma support group going back and talking about hope and fear. Um, did, did you see that one I put up there yet? Yes, I did. Like, this is the second time that Tuvok in his completely fucking garbage security division has cost uh, Voyager a way back. And maybe this is something to discuss more in the the rip but like yeah the first time was false prophets with the the wormhole to get back like the amount of technology they squandered by letting the dauntless get out of their control and speed off back to the borg and and that guy to get killed and it's all because these fucking clown security guys just are fucking terrible except for ayala and i can't think of a a single situation i've seen so far where um he's gotten got uh unreasonably so anyways i think there was one time seven and nine went on a war rampage and shot him but you know i i feel like he actually ends up being the most competent member of the security staff if i recall all the way back to the beginning of season three he was like part of it was him uh balana and harry who like crafted the plan to like beat the cave monster or whatever because he's like an olympic sprinter or something like we got like a tiny bit of background about him that he's like super like super athletic at the academy or something and he what he went to the academy Hmm. and uh yeah he's he is not just never been clowned on but i would consider him perhaps the most competent member of the security staff and then the the entire crew yeah (laughs) i don't know man don't 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 sleep on the doctor. He's he's always very effective. You know, let's let's not, you know, let's not take say things we can't take back. There. So they go through this uh, this Captain Photon thing, and uh, it is, I, I think the the comedy to sci-fi uh, thought experimentation is great. It's a nice example of like what the power of the holodeck technology could really be applied to. And it's a again slice of life stuff, which I keep coming back to how much I enjoy. All it's good. It's an A plus plus scene. Uh, I love it. And we will find out by a conflict with the doctor who has shown up because it's his turn to be in the holodeck that recreational facilities are in high demand right now because Voyager has found itself in a void. Uh, a two-year stretch of space that is devoid of planets and stellar features and everything else. And they're just flying through complete blackness. There's no stars. There's no nothing. The only light you see outside the ship is, you know, the reflection of the 
warp react or the warp uh, nacelles and some of the other lights. And uh, is this is this real? Is this a thing? I think they say that the reason why everything seems to be blotted out is because of background theta radiation, because otherwise you would be able to see stars. Like, even if there was nothing for years, as you traveled through space, you would be able to see things beyond that, obviously, because that light is coming towards you. And this is just night because of the radiation is blocking out their ability to even see past this area of space that they're in that has nothing in it. So it's certainly possible, I guess, theoretically, for a section of space to have nothing in it, right? But the fact that it's just pitch blackout is definitely a bit of an invention. I will say, uh, establishing that through the shots of the ship in the darkness with just the running lights and like the lights from the windows and from the nacelles was really cool. Like, what talk about like a neat, subtle VFX effect uh, to really like just set the tone of the episode. Like that was cool. I thought that that was really cool. Um, hearing why it's such a dark area and you can't see anything past it answers a lot of the later questions I have. And I don't know how I missed that theta radiation uh, excuse towards the beginning of the episode. So you've got this huge area of space that's completely devoid of anything else. And I think they've been in this part of space already for something like 56 days. Yeah, a couple of months. And it has had a profound impact on the crew to the point where it seems like it is an optional casual Friday at work. Like you've got skeleton crews manning all the stations. At one point we're going to have a scene where it's just Harry sitting in the captain's chair with his feet up on Chakotay's chair. He's playing a clarinet and he's the only bridge officer uh, who's present and, and other stuff like this. So, if you've got a two year straight shot where there is going to be no interference and no problems, um, it's starting to have a real impact on the morale of the crew. Like I go back to uh, one, the episode that we saw uh, the second to last episode of four, where they had to get through the terrible radiation cloud cloud that burned people. And they put seven of nine as the only person awake and put everybody else in cryo chambers. Like, if it's going to be a smooth, easy shot and it's becoming a real problem for people psychologically, like, you know, I'm, I'm always all for putting people in suspended animation. <laughs> I mean, you will find any excuse to use that juggalo tech, but I mean, it doesn't even have to be juggalo tech at this point. They've played the card. They've put the crew into uh, into hypersleep like. Yeah, why? If, if, if you've built. I mean, that was the part of one that made no sense. They suddenly had cryo chambers for every member of the 150. crew. 150. And, and had enough space on one deck to put them all. I mean, it was all kind of like, really? Really? This is okay. Uh, but you've rung that bell. So uh, I, I think, though, that what I found incredulous was these guys are so used to danger every week for years that the prospect of two years of no danger is what's finally breaking them. And that's, that's like, I don't know if that was a meta textual choice on their part or not, but think about it. Like we joke all the time, one ship imperiling disaster, a pay period minimum for your Starfleet non paycheck. Right. That's, that's what Voyager has run up against up to this point. The timing often works out that way and it's like 
oh no, we might not fucking die for two years. We're all like losing our minds. Like this, this speaks to the psychological damage that all of you have suffered far more than anything else. Real talk on that. And, and I dwelled on that for a lot of this episode. Uh, they will even come out to call it a more like a two year vacation. Uh, and I think it's Paris that says that maybe. Yeah. He's the one who's the most chill about it, too. He's like, fuck it. This is nice. Let's just get to cruise. It's good times. And we'll even have Janeway later on saying, I wish we had Borg cubes to deal with. Like, I get they're trying to paint a picture here and you're not supposed to take all this stuff so serious. But like, man, what the fuck? Like, you guys have been through space hell after space hell. People cutting your faces off and wearing it like a mask. Dudes getting assimilated. You've condemned entire cultures to death with your actions. Yeah, like uh, you just were reminded of those horrors that you have endured, the ramifications of your actions. Like you said, you've had to deal with the Vidians stealing your organs. You've had to deal with the Borg keep trying to assimilate you. You've had to deal with people with shit in their hair trying to fuck your day up. Like every Rogen hunting you down, 8427 yeah. giving you like chemical snot. So, you know, for what's throwaway lines, like, yeah, just God forbid you guys are just a regular Starfleet crew for a couple years and nothing fucking mangles you or your coworkers. Like, man, chill the fuck out. Um, and that, that'll kind of really hamstring this whole episode for me, but I get it. The, the crew's feeling a little squirrely. They want, uh, I don't know. They, they, they want the old days back and, and everybody's getting cabin fever, which resonated well, I guess, you know, while we're in the middle of this COVID-19 lockdown that we've had a lot of like in isolation episodes ever since this started. Yeah, um, I, I get it a little bit, but also like this is, you know, they're always stuck on the ship like this has been their life for several years now. So like to me, like the the idea that they're suddenly like just not getting fucking shot at for a while. Oh, being God, so can't crippling. beam down to demon planets and have uh, our bodies <laughs> no. duplicated by Terminator Silver Goo. Oh, and, damn. And so uh, I will say that uh, the my incredulousness at their seeming desire for life imperiling trauma as much as possible aside. Uh, I did like that the episode kind of explored the psychology of Janeway in a fashion I felt was way overdue. The fact that it took to the beginning of season five to do this, this smacked of something like Brand Bragg I wanted to do for a long time. And just never got a chance to actually like make happen. And now he's the showrunner, and he's like, ah, oh, it's Brandon's time to shine. Like we're doing this. Um, the, the big mystery to begin with is that the captain has not been seen for a while since they started this journey through the void. And Chicote is defensive about everyone kind of getting squirrely about where the captain is. And people say she hasn't left her quarters. Um, she, so he breaks up the senior staff meeting of like, no, she can run the ship wherever she please understood. Like it was kind of a neat moment. Everyone leaves the, uh, the briefing room and there's an a plus camera move. Yes. A tracking shot of Chakotay kind of like by himself 
in the uh, the briefing room contemplating like how that meeting ended and then showing him walking onto the bridge from the the conference room our first like I think confirmation the conference room is right next to the bridge and going and sitting down and it's it's all done as one tracking shot and it's really well done and it's like every like his uh, Robert Beltran a plus face acting like you see like his like mm, this is some shit like I don't I got to figure out what the fuck to do with the fact that captain's not around you see the weight he's carrying in his shoulders and i made a big deal out of this too for all the reasons you said like so the briefing room is basically where the turbo lift was that was next to picard's ready room uh it was it was really cool and and like you know yeah beltrain just wearing this weight after putting on a strong face in front of uh in front of uh senior staff the senior staff which I would say the senior staff's like pretty far out of line in in most of that briefing. I'm, I Bolana was really, particularly, yeah. I, I yeah, I said Bolana's being a real dick in this. Uh, I also liked um, Neelix's suggestion that they turn one of the cargo bays into an extra holodeck, and I was like, hmm, you know that Herogen holodeck floor that they had built earlier in season four probably sounded like a real great idea now for some extra R and R. I would have put money on this episode having the heavy influence of some sort of psychic alien or something that was creating either an artificial depression or toying with the emotions of Voyager instead of what will ultimately be just regular human and, you know, just the, the weight of the situation weighing on people's psyches. I think that if we're going to take this as a brand Branagh's, thumbprint on the series that the removal of uh, Jerry Taylor's signals the end of the Federation issue antidepressants that we have joked about <laughs> a lot like all of the stuff they that should have been Can't replicate them psychological trauma up to this point that has been completely ignored hits hard here and like you said it almost feels like it's too much too late but uh, I enjoy it for what it is it was still welcome. Like they tried to kind of like bridge the gap to why it hasn't been addressed in the scene that, that Chakotay ultimately has with Janeway, which I guess is the next big item, right? We, we do see some shots of the crew all kind of dealing with their kind of being bored. Uh, Neelix is having uh, panic attacks about his fear of nothingness. It's nice Uh, to see them bust out some new hideous wardrobe for him. Those, those, yeah. ugly ass pajamas really were something else how did that never end up as a think geek item <laughs> how was that never yeah, we, merchandised we see tom and Bolana having a fight we see tuvok has been using astrometrics to meditate because it's the only place he can see stars and he explains to seven of nine why that's important uh you know they detect some radiation and that finally gives chakotay uh a reason to go see the captain the captain is alone in her quarters is you know doesn't have her duty jacket on is just kind of rocking the the gray uh you know uniform shirt and is shrouded in darkness in her quarters as jane as chakotay kind of gives the the information to her and she's somewhat dismissive and what we get is chakotay trying to get her to leave try to like hey come play velocity with come play frisbee glocks with me if you don't want to play frisbee glocks you know this is classic chakotay here i mean he's played this playful card on her many times in the past to great success and i feel like they've definitely gave them 
I don't know if it was performance notes or what, but like, it seems like, like we have made so much fun of the fact that Chakotay always seems like he's trying to fucking get in Janeway's pants and, you know, he's kind of getting clockblocked by, you know, monkeys or whatever happens to be the, the thing that week. This seems much more like I am reaching out to you as a friend and as my commanding officer of like, I need you to interact with me and interact with the crew. Like I'm, I'm your, I'm your XO and I'm also your friend and I'm trying to make that connection. And we get a great Janeway monologue of I have, you know, of her regret about the situation the ship is in and that she made a choice and a hasty and potentially selfish choice during the premiere of the show to strand the crew in the Delta Quadrant uh, to defend the Ocampa. And she portrays the constant danger that they've been in since then as the, her excuse for not having to confront this con the, this choice that she made that for four years they've been dealing with all of the horrors of the delta quadrant but now they've got nothing but time to contemplate and now she is forced to contemplate oh oh we're uh, stranded on the other side of the galaxy from everything we know and love because i made a choice in the moment that may not have been necessary because I just felt it was the most Starfleet thing to do. And it was stupid and short-sighted and, and selfish. And I own every horrific thing that has happened to these people since then, including some of their deaths. And I, that was just so cool that they managed to bridge to, like, why is this happening now? Okay, we have an explanation. And then let's let Kate Mulgrew do her thing. Boom. It was awesome. The choice to destroy the caretaker array is a cross that we nailed Janeway to on an episode by episode basis for at least the first two seasons of this podcast. Uh, we pointed out numerous times where the crew should have uh, mutinied against her and uh, her complete lack of awareness in the situation and I wish that this scene had happened some point prior to season five, because I feel like there's been so much more that's happened since then that I kind of have moved on as a viewer. And there's been so many kind of forgiveness points that this seemed tonally like the wrong thing to pin on her at this point, because everything we're seeing in this dark bedroom scene is the complete opposite of everything we've been presented with from Janeway. And I understand why brands playing these cards. And I understand that this is kind of like a depression episode and everything, but she has been so headstrong and steadfast and confident in her decisions. She has been such a workaholic. Um, the episode, I think, uh, was it Q in the gray where there's, uh, uh, supernovas going off we find out that Janeway had been on the bridge for something like 16 hours like it's hard for me to see her in this state uh and to come to find out it's from a decision she made that she has been nothing but steadfast and I think these are such potent thoughts I have because in hopes and fears the true reason for her to be depressed was really rolled out we ended season four with a amazing throwback to Scorpion, where she makes the choice to help the Borg defeat uh, Species 8472. And, you know, we spent two hours saying why it was a stupid decision. And then yep. we would later come to find in Hopes and Fears when uh, Arturus, 
Ray Wise basically tries to murder and says, you know, you damned countless other species to annihilation at the Borg's hands. Billions of lives. So having this as your season five opener, and especially since when Ray Wise played that card, she just shugged off the, you know, the accusation that, hey, you fucked up like water off a duck's back. The right thing to have her crippled by depression in this episode would have been like, my God, what have I done? Like, yeah, I, I stranded the crew here, but that's 150 people. There are billions of lives that have been lost at the hands of our worst enemy because of my selfishness to save 150 people. So like, had they shifted her depression over to like feeling that, I think it would have been a 10 out of 10. And again, had this scene happened like the beginning of season four or the end of season three, like it, it would have been completely appropriate, but it's a good scene. It's a good exchange. Everything is grounded and good. But I think at this point, it really should have been being conflicted over the Borg that had her all torn up. And again, she is like so uncharacteristically depressed and sequestered that I would have bet all the money I had that this is an alien influencer bringing her down. This can't possibly be human psychology actually having an impact on her to this degree. I, I agree, of course, that any reference to the spectacular ending of that of Hope and Fear uh, would have made this scene an A plus because it would have given her a, you know, a, a real reflection point as to uh, a, a more recent choice that she's made and like allows her to like roll back to like everything else that's happened. Uh, but I get that why they didn't, which is this is the beginning of the season. You're hoping to get people back in that stopped watching. You know, and so let's make it as general as possible. Sure. Good. You point. Know? Yeah. You know, let's let's make it as approachable as possible to people who may not have seen everything else. And that is we're still stuck. We're stuck because of this choice I made. And I now have time to contemplate that that's the case. If you're going to also... do it, the more. If you're going to do it that way, this this makes sense. I also like that she is very cognizant of the fact that they've got it really good right now. And Paris had hinted at it earlier in the staff briefing that, you know, this is basically a two-year vacation. But she really drives home the point that it's just been one thing after another. And I think that it also makes sense that this is why you're seeing Janeway as cripplingly weak as she is because she knows there's no big deal and that letting Chakotay sit there at the helm is completely acceptable, whereas before... You know, yeah, you were all, saying that she's a workaholic. Well, the thing about workaholics is when they don't have any work to do, suddenly they have to confront their underlying psychosis that's making them workaholics. And it can be damaging. People commit suicide in those circumstances in their real life, you know, in, in, in the real world when they're like that. Sure. And, you know, I get it. Like, yeah, she's the kind of lady who spent 16 hours on the bridge because she's dealing with this constant trauma mindset, you know, getting her people home, getting her people home. And now for two years, she's essentially unnecessary. And, you know, like, except as like a morale person. And we, we've always seen how uncomfortable she is in that role. She's she is not like a touchy feely kind of person. She's not a person who's very emotional in the sense that she's you know support. She's she's gotten better at it. But like we saw early on, like season one, they made a point of showing like where her starting point is with that is of like, I'm not a, the people person captain. That's I'm a scientist. And, you know, she's had to develop that role and it's not natural for her. And now that's all she has left. Uh, I disagree. And I think it all comes to the way that she talks to people like she's the only Starfleet captain I can think of that uses people's first names. Um, you know, she calls him Tom, not 
you know, Mr. Paris and, and Bellana and, and she's very first name. So like in some respects, I think she's a lot more lax and inviting. And we've talked about how her command style has never been like one to chastise and hold people accountable. Like dudes commit mutiny and shit all the time. She ignores it. And the only time we've ever seen her talk with like stern captain voice was Tom and Bellana for dry humping on the uh, on the warp core. Um, but yeah, she did make a conscious effort to say like, I can't be these people's friends and I have to keep my distance. So in some ways she's warm in other ways, I think she's been intentionally distant, but, uh, her withdrawing and again, leaving the ship in Chakotay's hands, it makes sense. It, it, it works. Uh, I feel like the, the reason why, by the way, that her, I mean, she uses Tom's, uh, first name, but obviously they have a very different relationship. Uh, than everybody else, you know, she's, you know, she's risen him up, put him back in the uniform, put him back in regular service. You know, um, she understands where he's coming from. They deal with each other a little bit more informally as a consequence, because he's, you know, not necessarily a regular officer the same way. Uh, But also um, the, the rank structure on the ship makes it so that it would be difficult to differentiate anybody if they just referred to people by rank so they have to use names well i mean pay attention moving forward like she is she calls everybody by a first name um so chakotay's efforts to get the captain to make an appearance ultimately fail she shuts him down hard uh we pop back over to uh the bridge then that's where you get the scene with harry with his feet up playing his clarinet tuvok walks in and busts him and harry's like uh hey listen i finished my uh, my new clarinet piece you want to listen and two box actually like yes which blew my mind because <laughs> uh, that seemed like prime time for two to get snarky and tell him to fuck off and sit in the chair the right way but that really drives home like how bored everybody is with this situation two yeah. doesn't bust your balls for slouching and no one cares no one gives a fuck so he's playing the clarinet hey jess shout out to you there's your boy playing the clarinet and uh, this is finally. Oh, and uh, I believe Tom is showing Seven of Nine, uh, the Captain Proton thing, trying to get her to play Constance Goodhart because you know why use a simulated stacked blonde when you have a real one available to you, uh, which of course leads to a standard Seven of Nine. This is stupid moment where she just borg, you know, borgs the problem away by reprogramming Satan's robot, um, and that is when finally something happens. Uh, which is that uh, suddenly all of the power starts to go out on the ship. There seems to be some kind of dampening field that is shutting down all of the power and literally reducing the ship to night. Um, it's cool, cool effect. Like all the lights go out inside. You start to see all the lights go out outside and suddenly everything is in darkness. You could see Neelix's twin hobo trash can fires in the mess hall getting rocked. Yes. Just, just, just like raging in their total non OSHA compliance. Uh, something Stevie pointed out Im- immediately as we were watching it. And, uh, we get the crew in different states of surprise of what's happened. Obviously first you got Harry and Tuvok trying to like get some power back on the bridge. Uh, the, um, on the holodeck, they note that the, the array has been frozen. So 
they it's there's still power but they can't transfer any of the power off the holodeck to other things and he's like using the the flash gordon flashlight to like look around in this environment so um, this the power going out in the holodeck still maintaining like holodeck hologram cohesion i thought was silly whatever i can sleep that under the carpet they did it so they could have seven of nine shoot an alien with a ray gun i know but it's still like what the fuck and then they're like (laughs) we can't up for that bit we can't transfer the power to the other things and it's like you you wouldn't be able to anyways the fucking holodeck again the holodeck power is supposed to be incompatible with the rest of the fucking ship like we're going to hold make, that over them for the rest of this run of the show. They put that in an episode. They said that specifically. Like two. Yeah. Like Whatever. They set that up. We're going to uh, hold them to it. We see them bust out the wrist flashlights, which them like crawling through the <laughs> ship only further ho- highlights like how awkward it is to have to like Superman fly with like, fist forward <laughs> pointing at things. I, I hate those fucking flashlights. But uh, yeah, the whole ship's knocked out and. It is a really cool effect when the lights are out and all the background sound effects die, just how stuffy and claustrophobic that ship feels. And I think that becomes a strength to the scenes with Neelix, who is like full blown panic attack at this mode, like crouching in a corner, having a fucking psychotic episode like it would suck. It it would suck a lot to be just trapped in space like that. And again, I think. They they do a great job building the atmosphere in all of this. They do. They do a great job playing on the premise. Uh, unusual care for production and lighting and the use of practical TV uh, production design. You know, we already mentioned like the camera shot where they did the tracking shot from the briefing room back to the bridge where it was just done to show the weight that Chakotay was carrying the to dealing with this issue but that is not i mean like this this episode is filled with innovative camera work like, i would have thought it was a frakes episode honestly same yeah like th- this it, they went so far out of the what you would call the voyager house style and did interesting things with shot location with camera location uh obviously the use of lighting is extremely important and it's great like that added so much to the episode and the ambiance and uh, the subtleties that they are trying to convey that usually Voyager does not indulge in. And it was really cool to see that in full effect. I don't know what this episode's going to be. I have nothing to work on based off of it. It's just Voyager somehow in pitch blackness for two years with the captain uncharacteristically depressed uh, and everybody going a little crazy. And now all of the power disappearing under a mysterious force. Like if ever there was a time for there to be a Cthulhu episode, this would be Star it. Trek, like up to this. And, and that's why instead it's captain planet. Yes, it is. And that's, that's <laughs> the big disappointment. in all this is that up to this point, we are running at like peak, really fucking cool sci-fi borderline horror. And they've set such an intriguing table. Um, we'll have a flash appearance of uh, others on the ship. And it's a cool, you know, resident evil moment where it's, I think I see something in the shadows. All we have are flashlights, uh, horrific looking monsters that look like shit men. I think they'll be described by Robert Picardo as a humanoid Tootsie rolls, which they 
nicknamed uh, Captain's Logs. Nice. Um, <laughs> but uh, Tuvok, once they get a little bit of power back up, will fire a torpedo off of the bow as basically a glow stick. And it's funny that I note in my notes that it's a waste of a torpedo because this is a monumental expenditure of photon torpedoes in this episode. Yeah, this is, this is definitely where they're like, uh, you have to give up on the idea that they somehow didn't reload on these things, which makes sense, right? Like you would assume after this many years and this many races, I would buy it if they did like, you know, hey, we ran into a race that had similar weapons. We manufactured a whole new armament, you know, like we've, we've just been replicating our... stuff and using yeah. shit. We might like... coming up with ways to make new ones. Just a line of dialogue would have fixed it if because they knew that that was one of the criticisms of your show. Why would you have not thrown in it at some point to just. Yeah, OK, we, we were able to restock and we built some new shuttlecraft too. like such big talking points for the show is gone. They will get to the shuttlecraft thing, believe it or not. The going back to Bran Branagh, I feel like this is very strongly within his MO. He does a great job in a lot of different episodes that he has writing credits on. On it's almost like Stephen King, like the buildup is so good, and then the resolution or the explanation, or like when the curtains finally open and you get to see behind them, always. Not always, but very often falls very flat and there's a lot of wasted potential and opportunity for what was an otherwise terrific buildup. Uh, they pop this photon torpedo, it turns into a glow stick, and we see uh, some ships. Uh, th- these aren't just space monsters, that this is some sort of a spacefaring race, that they've got um, gravity wells or some sort of interdictor ability that they have been able to sap all the power and and set Voyager adrift and they have now boarded. Uh, and, and this is again, classic brand all like really cool, big picture. And then you find out the pushing force behind it and you're like, ah, that's not as good as it could be. And then you take a closer look at what the details are on that. It all starts falling apart. You're in a part of space where there's absolutely fucking nothing for two years in any direction. Where are these space poop men getting the materials to build these ships? Like it yeah, goes where, back- where, what's their planet? Like what's their civilization? Where do they live? What's the fucking story here? Go back to what was the episode where uh, everybody was getting terrorized in their dreams and Chakotay had the moon and he fought wolves or something. <laughs> His spiritual warrior, episode, right? <laughs> so he there's fought wolves or something. I, you know, Chikote's never fought a wolf on this episode, but I feel like it's something he should have done by this point. It's like, but you had the the planet not, full of right? space vampires, right? That were like yes. so powerful with their psychics that they could like snare ships light years away and bring them back. And then we see all the space vampires, and they're laying in a fucking cave on a barren, desolate planet. But they all got like textiled clothing like where the factories building these it doesn't make any fucking sense okay so we've got these space poop men who are in like these really tight rubber body suits covered in like corn kernels or something and they're running around the ship throwing acid or or whatever the fuck they've got one of them hits tom pretty good in the holodeck uh the ship that's completely broken and nothing works. Seven and nine grabs a holographic gun, tells the computer to turn off the safety protocols and then fires this energy hologram weapon and stuns this guy and fucks him up. Like 
doesn't make any sense. Whatever. Cool scene. Sure. <laughs> Bran Brana not making any fucking sense, but ramrodding a situation. Okay, fine. Whatever. Um, they're they're pulling some shit in engineering. Everybody's looking around, you know, uh, with flash. Janeway shows up. She's got a she's got a space rifle. You know, she's she's back in action. This is where she we goes, get our episode title. All right. Janeway, who had been very deeply depressed coming out. Uh, we're going to call this one. Kathy's got a gun <laughs> off the uh, <laughs> the Aerosmith what? song. Janie's got a gun. Kathy's got a gun. <laughs> Yeah, I can hey, only she assume that she weapons just, last week. I mean, I, you know, let's let's get weapons. <laughs> I can only assume she sleeps with this rifle under her bed. She has pulled yeah. this thing out on multiple occasions. Catherine Janeway is too good for a standard uh, Starfleet phaser or even the type three phaser rifle. She is always rocking the three barrel fuck you compression rifle. She used it to bust uh, Tom and Harry out of the shoot. And now she's there gun and yeah, i mean after microcosm i would also like always care like i would keep that shit on my wall like i had to fight people-sized diseases on my ship i am taking this fucking thing i'm going to never ever let it out of my sight this is well, my we've sword. talked before and i think you know if i was the captain of the ship i would have everybody armed at all times just because the delta quadrant is that shitty yeah um, always have your space clock absolutely carry your service so- nine Kathy's got a gun and she's got a purpose again. The uh, the crippling depression that has uh, been able to wash over her in the absence of real work is now gone because there is real work and she's got a purpose again. And uh, they start fighting to repel back this mysterious uh, invasive force. When when does the scene with Chakotay and Tuvok come up? So it doesn't happen until after. So. Uh, the big reveal is that uh, this giant uh, freighter comes in and shoots a bunch of basically flares into the night and it drives off the uh, the Tootsie Roll aliens and a gnarly looking guy who looks like uh, the dude from Robocop after he had a bunch of toxic waste dumped on him. Uh, like hails Voyager and was like, you owe me for spatial charges because I just ran off those dudes. And uh, he's apparently he's basically a, a space uh, waste engineer. He's like from space Jersey, you know, and there he's just dumping his fucking toxic waste off onto this part of space. That's what they find out. So and, his name's uh, Maylox. He says what I think he's part of the Malorn space confederacy or something. Uh, I love this guy and I hate him. Uh, this is some very standard 90s Trek where ugly equals evil. And this He's guy straight up a Captain Planet villain, dude. Yeah. Like he is an Hoggish evil Greedly. space polluter. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he even looks like that guy. Like he's, he's got balding. his space. He's, he's got fat. a space pollution ship Blimp. that he's taking. And these poor natives are being hurt. And only through combining their powers can Voyagers save them. Like, it, it is so 90s. It is so 90s. It's great. I loved it. So he comes in. You don't know what he's about. And like I said, I, I love him in that it's nice to see other civilizations out there doing what they can to get by. And they don't have magical Federation technology. And you've got just dudes that are ugly and, and going about their way and trying to do the thing. It's it's more classic sci-fi. You know, it's not treacherous Romulans and their sleek warbirds or like honorable Klingon, you know, 
vicious attack vehicles. It's like, it's the blue collar of space, right? Um, it's, it's like most of what you see in the expanse. So I like that. But on the other hand, it becomes this totally two dimensional situation. So he drives off, uh, the, the, the turd people, the pudding men, uh, first words out of his mouth are you better pay me. Um, also, why are you here? There's nothing here. This area of space is completely devoid. Uh, and uh, hey, you shouldn't be here. Why don't you come with me? I'll show you where there's a wormhole that'll get us out of here and bop us forward two years. It's a really good deal for you. And uh, I'll I'll do that because, you know, you're stranded in the middle of fucking nowhere in hostile territory. And here's an uncharacteristically nice thing that you're going to have an offer made by an alien species. Oh, I see on my sensors, you've got one of the Tootsie Roll people. Can you give them to me? And then Janeway says, no, I can't just, you know, fucking I got to look that gift horse in the mouth. Right. Right. And we're going to we're going to start picking at the scab and seeing what's underneath here. And that's where the let's call it the other part of the A plot, the B plot comes in. And this is where the episode falls apart for me, because we've had really good sci-fi slice of life stuff going on and now we are going to jam this as you've put it very aptly this elementary school captain planet situation in here that is juvenile at best and downright criminal at at worst uh as you've already said these are trash scows that are coming in that whoever these malorn people are that this guy is just Joe, the dumpster driver. Right. And we are led to believe that apparently his garbage truck ship has more firepower and can outclass the Federation's best intrepid class, which whatever. It's not the first. I think eight times out of ten, uh, the species that they encounter in the Delta Quadrant outclass them across the board as far as technology goes. So whatever. And this guy has a secret wormhole that only he knows about. And he has been taking the energy byproduct, the theta radiation of his um, his culture. And he has been hauling it out here to the middle of nowhere where there's nobody and dumping it in what he thought was a safe place. Minus one indigenous species that hails from the planet of can't possibly fucking exist, let alone make spaceships. And. He's been dumping the radiation there and that they uh, have tried to tell him, stop, you're poisoning us and hurting us. And he ignores them because he is bad. He's a bad man that only cares about money. And even when Voyager offers to break the prime directive and offer him and his race technology that would not ma- would make it so they wouldn't have to create this antimatter waste from their from their technology, he re- rejects taking it because it would make it so that he would no longer make his evil space pollution profits, even though like they easily could have said, well, you could just sell the information back yes. to your, I mean, if you're that fucking worried about it, like just why don't you sell this stuff we're giving you? So you just stop killing these people. Yeah. Patent it is or whatever. So fucking to He even says, you know, yeah. this would save the people of my land a lot of fucking time. And so this is where the characters fallen apart. Hard for me, right? He's come in. He saved Voyager. He said, you shouldn't be here. You seem like you're stuck. I'm going to give you a way out of here. If all this guy cared about was the fucking profit lines and margin, if he was really as mercenary 
as they're making him out to be, he would have just fucking blown or let the things kill Voyager not given a fuck. Or he would have blown Voyager up himself. This thing's endangering my 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 fucking profit scheme here. I'm going to blow it up. They take him on a tour. They show him everything. He's real skeptical at first. But he's like, yeah, no, the math all checks out on this. Even though I'm just a fucking lowly garbage scout driver, uh, you can lay all this super science on me. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, this all makes sense. And then to monologue in engineering and be like, well, this seems great, but I'm a bad guy and this is going to be, you know, bad for my wallet, even though it's good for the environment where they could have just done something and locked up or, you know, he he's just that fucking stupid. Then he goes back to his ship. They get a little hostile with each other. He goes back to ship still doesn't just blow Voyager up because now he sees the threat it represents. It's it's just a silly virtue signaling that doesn't fit it, at all. It, it, yeah, it's 90s environmentalist, uh, just grade school level plot. But there are some gems throughout the episode. Let's not, you know, we've summarized all the bullshit, right? So here's the good parts. There is a great scene between Tuvok and Chakotay in the briefing room where they reference their, their history together, where they have not gotten along, something that we have noted and appreciated that continuity, them referencing that was cool, of as Janeway tries to figure out what to do, do, do I you know, stop the space polluters or do I take the free ticket out of the fucking void and you know, it's it's essentially a close parallel to, of course, the choice that she was confronted with when they stranded in the Delta Quadrant. And Chakotay is getting the vibe of, you know, there's something fucky going on with Catherine Janeway. And goes to Tuvok and say, Tuvok, uh, there is no one on the ship who knows her better than you. What the fuck is going on with her? Why is she acting this way? What's going on? I need I need to know. I'm the XO. I know we don't get along, but this is some shit we need to talk about. And Tuvok's like, yeah, you're right. We don't get along. But you are correct that there is some fuckiness. And explains that, I guess you'd call Catherine Janeway's command flaw, is that she takes personal ownership of her mistakes to such a degree that she will endanger herself as a consequence of uh, something that's happened to others. So the, the example that he uses is when she was a commander on another ship, I think it was the Billings and says that she sent a couple uh, away team members to survey a volcano and it nearly got them killed. And so she decided to go and finish the mission by herself so she wouldn't endanger anybody else because she felt responsible for putting those officers in the line of duty, which is, you know, essentially like the uh, opposite of of Picard, right? Like he had a, a the, the situation with his girlfriend and, you know, had sent her down into danger and like it's part of the it's part of the job. You get sent down into danger. We try to get you out. But if you die, you die. Like it's part of being in Starfleet. It's a very lethal profession. Whereas she's like, no, I almost got some people killed, which means I'm putting myself in danger because I, you know, that's command to her. Is, which very fits what we've seen of her before. There have been many instances. Uh, yes. Notably, um, Year of Hell where she yeah. finally flies Voyager, she kicks everybody off, and she goes on the suicide run by herself. So, classic Janeway. And I get it, and it's like, it's a neat way of like, yeah, so this is her thing. She She's very self-sacrificial, and, you know, that's what she, If she's going to angle shoot on this, it's going to be in that direction. 
and we need to be ready for that. And that was a really cool scene because it was, let's real talk. We got to talk about this and I need you to divulge some personal information about the captain because it's the only way we're going to be ready. And this is a good Chakotay episode. Yeah, it's a great Chakotay episode. And uh, that's a good exchange between him and Tuvok. We get a real good laugh in a follow up scene where Janeway calls him in and says, hey, listen, we got this dilemma. Uh, We could just leave things alone and mind our own fucking business and not needlessly murder people. Uh, Or, you know, we can we can start a fight that doesn't need to happen. And she starts laying the groundwork for what she's going to pull. And she lays this line on him. It says, Chakotay, there's no one I trust more on this ship than you, which is a complete fucking line. It's something we dwelled on in hopes and fears that she's having all these secret uh, war party talks with Tuvok, as she often does and completely stonewalls Chakotay out of all these upper level command decisions. So uh, I do believe that she believes that Chakotay is an excellent, is a viable option for captain. Um, but I do not believe for a second that he is the one she trusts the most, especially after some of the shit that they've uh, had go down specifically Scorpion part two, where Chakotay just completely throws her fucking wishes in the trash. <laughs> correctly. 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 To my delight uh, and creates a uh, unforgivable rift between them. But uh, again, I, I have a hard time with the rest of this episode. Uh, she makes a decision that they're going to they're going to stop this bad thing from happening They're They're going to pull their planet to your stun. What this guy is doing is wrong and that uh, the Federation and Starfleet should be sticking their fucking nose in this situation, which I believe is absolutely not the case. Um, she is going to stay behind in a shuttlecraft once Voyager leaves with the garbage scout and that she is going to blow up the wormhole and seal it shut forever. Once Voyager safely through there's some mutiny on the bridge where everybody says, we're not okay with you leaving. We want to stand by you and essentially saying, um, we forgive you for stranding us here. We believe you're making the correct and just decisions, which is totally okay. You know, all the shit we've given Janeway about making the choice. It's not the effective choice to get home. It was a selfish choice. And now that we once again have affirmed with the rest of the crew that it was made on even not a consensus, it was an agreed conclusion. Sure. Four seasons too late, whatever. And they all decide that they're going to get together and and stop this as a group. Uh, They're going to try to go through and blow the end of the wormhole up seal it and uh they're gonna have to fight this ship to get through at the end the the whole fucking thing's stupid i can't stand it um this guy he's a jerk whatever but like there's 50 different ways we could resolve this that don't involve going into open combat with this ship where there doesn't need to be like maybe this guy's a piece of ship but maybe everybody else on his crew is a nice person and that they're just there because they're desperate for money. They all got families. Like we're painting this guy as an absolute evil, like the fucking Borg or the Herogen, just some two to um, maybe a Herogen there. But just I am an evil Captain Planet villain. Like no, there's there's other. You guys are starting a fucking fight. You could fly through, go to this guy's home world, right? And give Say, him hey, the technology and be like, hey, this guy is hey, polluting. Yeah, maybe the rest of the race there are like nice people and this guy's just a shitty outlier like like listen this dude's illegally done hey uh molorn epa this guy's dumping shit and there's like people <laughs> over there 
Like he's got a secret wormhole and he's he's just fucking poisoned. I'd be like, oh, hell no. Get the fucking Malorn police over there and capture this guy. Oh, oh, you've got technology that we could. Great. Look at all this stuff we've resolved with fucking diplomacy and like thinking instead of just let's get in a fight with this garbage scout. Let's kill everybody on board in cold blooded murder. I, I will. I, let, let's let me blow up a fucking uh, environmental feature that that you have no right to just destroy the space thing. It's like there's some guy who's dumping trash in Niagara Falls. Well, let's fucking murder him and then let's blow up the Niagara Falls. <laughs> That's our right to make. There's nothing we learned from fucking uh, hopes and fears that maybe Catherine Janeway doesn't have the Delta Quadrant authority to just blow up fucking wormholes or condemn everybody to assimilation by the Borg. Like she learned nothing. It was the last episode from the last season. This is the first fir- episode of the first season. They are completely ignorant of each other. I, I, not as harsh. I feel like she has learned that uh, I have to get my crew home. They need me, and therefore I cannot just sacrifice myself. We've got to deal with this as a group. We got to do the right Federation thing, which is help these people out. Like, yes, I agree that the fact that they run out of time to do more interesting things uh, to solve the problem does kind of suck but it's all in service of some great like character development scenes and moments in this episode that i don't mind that it reduces to basically a space fist fight at the end because honestly i want to stick my dick in these mashed potatoes and everybody else is like (laughs) no you can't we all have to stick our dick in the mashed potatoes and everybody takes their pants off and they all stick their dick in the mashed potatoes and then to top it all off they fly off they destroy the fucking wormhole they don't get as far as they thought they would but they still get pretty far, which, again, for someone who's super conflicted about, like, God, I need to get my people home. Like, she hamstrings herself again trying to get out. But it's good character development. I made the right choice. You know, the the easy way home isn't always the best way home. Whatever. But they don't even, like, say, like, all right, well, let's go. F- you know, we've collapsed the celestial feature. We've murdered people. We know about a grave injustice. We also know about a whole society that could really benefit from our technology. Like let's go out of our way to do they ever go and find the Malorn homeworld and give this great technology that would do them like tons of favors. <laughs> That's my knowledge. Unfortunately, oh, look at that. Look at that. Uh, I, I do. Let's, let's not, by the way, skate over the fact that there's probably the most like intense firefight shot from VFX perspective of Voyager, oh, yeah. like firing off like four phaser arrays at the same time mm-hmm. and like rapid fire shooting torpedoes. It's like the most competent we've ever seen the ship actually shown as a combatant. Not it's like, fighting species 8472, not fighting the Herogen, not, not fighting, fighting the Borg. fucking Borg cube. The most yeah. intense and white knuckle fist fight we've ever seen voyager is in is with a fucking garbage truck (laughs) (sighs) that's true it's brand brown man like again it's like the big picture is great and then you get into the details and it's just yeah wet fart i love as usual as as usual just like they get through it they see the stars and and kathy's like all right Let's go. And then in the episode's over, like, no, no even scene to reflect on what's happened. It's just like, and we're done. Does uh, Seven, who, of course, has to be the star of Voyager now, I see she's got a, her own brand new workstation that is directly in between um, Chakotay and Janeway. Has that station always been there? Yeah, she's used it before, too. 
All right. Well, that makes a little bit of sense. Uh, Yeah. I will say my other parting thoughts on this is that Harry's new haircut sucks. I'll be honest with you. Didn't even notice. Dilly Asian boys. They just all look the same to me. They changed their hair. It's racist. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What are we watching? You got some Patreon material now to give people. Um, you know, this was this was a really good episode. I loved everything up to the point that, you know, and again, you, you hit the you you framed it perfectly. This fucking Captain Planet nonsense. Yeah, this guy it's could have been was. a two dimensional piece of shit and they could have done the Starfleet Federation thing and like diplomacy their way around it. Instead, we've got this ridiculous firefight and, and wormhole being destroyed and everything else like. Wasted potential. It's this is a this is a great encapsulation of Voyager. Excellent potential, wasted opportunity. Some really cool waste, take- I, I, I don't think it was wasted. To say it was wasted would say that there's nothing like nothing came of value of this. There was a lot in this episode that was very good. That I I came away in, like despite the fact that the last fifteen minutes are just kind of crap. Like the rest of it was was really good. Like there was so much depth to. Yeah what you got performance wise out of people that you don't normally see. And I felt like the production of the episode itself in trying to do things, some things they don't normally do was great. And yeah, whatever. There's a crafty captain planet ending. Fine. Fuck it. I'll take it. I'll take that 10 times out of 10. If you mean I'm going to get like actual good scenes between these characters where they're going to have actual personalities and an actual character development and continuity and self-reflection and all this other stuff. Give me all of the garbage scowls that they're going to fight with 18 torpedoes if that's what I'm going to get in the end. The wasted potential here is that it was just a good episode when they set the table for what could have been a amazing episode. Fair point. I will agree with you there. Yeah. What so, did we watch? Um, what did we watch certainly- next week? Uh, next week we're going to season two, I'm sorry, season five, episode two drone. And we have kind of what looks like Paris, maybe with some, uh, assimilation Borg shit going on. It says after an away team mission shuttle is caught in a blast, the doctor's mobile emitter is infected with seven of nines nanoprobes, the triumphant return of space pixie dust. You made strong claims back in the beginning of season four that Borg nanoprobes were going to be a weekly occurrence. Uh, I was going to point out to you that you were wrong, that we barely saw them maybe three times at the most. Uh, But I see now season five is the true layer of the nanoprobes. I guess I was a little a little ahead of my time there. I some you know, I sometimes the seven of nine seasons, I forget when things happen. But yeah, uh, no, we're not all lying to you when you tell you that Borg nanoprobes become the the pixie dust of of Voyager and solve all problems at all times. And yeah, this is definitely an episode coming up here that'll do that. Um, a few things to to handle before we go. First, uh, you mentioned Patreon. For, uh, first, I want to thank we we got a new patron. Thank you to you. Uh, I don't want to necessarily out your name because I keep all that private, but I see you. Thank you. Uh, and also, we're going to be doing a second Patreon episode we did our first one and we released it recently it was the uh review of the star trek uh next generation triple x porn parody which i believe was some of our finest work to date uh 
am looking forward to doing our next one. And we left it up to our, our viewers to decide. And there was a pretty clear uh, vote for us to review Galaxy Quest, possibly one of the finest Star Trek movies ever made. Uh, Absolutely. So uh, Stevie is very hyped to watch this one uh, because uh, uh, let's just say she's also a big Severus Snape fan. So, uh, you know, it's kind of one of her Alan Rickman's in it. So it's one of her uh, favorite actors. Um, so we will, we will end up producing that for our patrons and it'll be exclusive to them for a while uh, before released to the public. So if you are interested in supporting the podcast uh, with a couple dollars each month so that we can pay all of our podcast related bills, we always do appreciate you. Uh, we, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll offer these extra episodes uh, as a incentive when we can, of course. Uh, but anything you want to kick into the kitty is, is appreciated. Uh, also, uh, big shout outs of always, always to the Viju Please Trauma Support Group on Facebook. That is our fan community. Uh, if you would like to join, we keep it uh, closed only because we respect everyone's privacy about not having all of their Star Trek shit posting going where their grandmother can see it. Uh, but everyone is welcome. All you have to do is apply. Uh, you can find it through the Facebook group, uh, the Viger Please Trauma Support Group. Join us and talk all manner of Trek and all of our episodes and all of that. Uh, and by the time this airs, uh, we'll have actually already done our uh, season four rip, which we're also going to be our Picard uh, laying into the dirt. So, yeah, I see that face you're making. I'm not looking forward to that either. I don't want to talk about Picard. Yeah, but we will because it's we'll make it funny, and uh, so we appreciate all of you that came out to that. Uh, since it's now in our past, uh, when this will be released, and as always, please like and share uh, and review the podcast whenever you have the opportunity. Spreading the word uh, spreads our audience ever so slightly forward. We always appreciate that as well. So until uh, we see you Hold next on. week, I got a little stinger for us here. Oh my! Is it a, is it a rule of acquisition? That absolutely is getting back to our oh roots, man. Oh my god! It's hard to find remaining ones to fit to this, but I got a good one. Uh, rule of acquisition number sixty-two: profit. If oh wait, no, yeah, profit is its own reward. The riskier the row, the greater the profit. <laughs> well, and, sometimes uh, it, do- it doesn't pay to pollute, Peter. Fly away! The power is yours. <laughs> Damn, that might week. be the episode title instead of Kathy's Got a Gun, The Power is Yours. That's going to be a hard one. Mm. I guess everyone will find out which one we picked. Yeah. 